morning. Scripture reading this morning will come from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We'll read verses 13 through 19. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today, even though the weather's uh, rather stormy outside. Still, we're very safe and warm and comfortable inside, and we're very thankful for that and thankful for your presence today. Hope that you'll be back with us again this evening at 6 o'clock. Thankful for these men who've led us in our worship service. They always do such an admirable job and such a fine job, and we're very grateful for each and every one of you and of them, and very grateful for each and every one of you. I'd like to focus for a few minutes today on a promise which Jesus gave. I don't know if you noticed that in the Scripture reading. Thank you, Daniel, for reading the Scriptures for us. But he gave us a promise. And I'd like to spend just a few moments today talking about that promise. I am talking today about something that's very near and dear to my heart. And I'm sure those who are uh, members of the Church of the Lord, the Church of the New Testament, this subject is very near and dear to you. It's not something that you hear as much today as you used to. We need to go back and study once again what the Bible says about the New Testament church. I'm not talking about modern-day churches and churches that dot the landscape of our culture and our community. But I am talking about the New Testament church. I'm talking about a special church, a church that you read about in the New Testament. And that church is what I'm very, very interested in. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are involved in denominational churches who are not a part of the New Testament church. I love them, and I am very respectful toward them, but at the same time, I'm not interested in being a part of any man-made church. I tell them that, and I tell others that. But I do spend a lot of time studying about the New Testament church. And it's that promise that Jesus made in verse 18 that I want to spend just a moment with you. He says in Matthew chapter 16, 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you've not already done that, why don't you mark that passage in your Bible? It comes from Matthew chapter 16 and the verses verse 18. And I'm going to spend my time on that verse today. There's a lot that can be said and developed from this particular matter. And the first thing that I see as you have your Bible open and you're reading along with me and studying along with me is this matter of the foundation of the church. He says, on this rock. And I've tried in this graphic to illustrate that for you and emphasize that point that Jesus is making in this promise. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. 
The Bible makes very clear that the this that he's referring to is the statement which Peter had made just a moment ago in verse 16. Now, I view verse 16 as one of the greatest statements anyone can ever make. And I'd like to spend just a brief moment looking at that rock that he talks about as the foundation of the New Testament church. And it's found for us in verse 16. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I think that's the greatest thing you'll ever say. Now, when somebody comes forward and they say, Well, I want to be baptized. And we encourage people to be baptized who have never been immersed for the remission of their sins. And they say, Yes, I want to do that. I've read the Bible sufficiently and I've studied the Word of God appropriately. And now I want to comply with this heavenly command to be baptized for the remission of sins. This is what I ask them. I ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And they say, yes, I do. And the reason I ask them that is because I'm told to. We're told that that's a part of our salvation. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, confession is made unto salvation. This is the confession that Peter talked about or uh, Paul talked about when he was writing to Timothy. Uh, we make this confession. He that confesses me before men, Jesus said, him will I also confess before my heavenly Father. This is the greatest thing you'll ever say. Now, you'll say some great things in life. One of these days, if you haven't already done it, you and your loved one will stand before a preacher and an audience, and you'll say, I do. It's a great thing that you say there. And it's a great promise and commitment that you're making. I do. Do you take the, I do. Do you take this, I do. There's some great things that you can say in life. But there's nothing greater than this. That I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't ask them, do you believe Noah built an ark? Or I don't ask them, do you believe that John wrote the book of Revelation? Or I don't ask them, did Moses write to Pentateuch? I do ask them, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And when they say yes to that, that's like saying yes to all the other. About Moses and Noah and John. It's like putting one hand on the left part of the Bible and one hand on the right part of the Bible and saying, I believe it all. I believe whatever the Bible says and whatever God has revealed to me because I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, the reason this is so important in our study today is because that's the this of verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this, that's the this. You go back up into this particular passage and they ask him, well, now, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He said, but who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar Bar-Jonah is just a Hebrew way of saying son of Jonah. Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will tell you, you are Peter, and on this, the great ledge of truth, the foundation upon which the church of the Lord is built is the this, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the great rock. 
that the church is built on. I know one thing. It wasn't Mary Baker Eddy. And it wasn't Joseph Smith. It was not Peter. It was the this. It was the truth. The great ledge of truth. That Jesus is the Christ. That's the rock. On this rock, I will build my church. The great truth that Jesus is God's only begotten Son. Thou art the Christ, the anointed of God. You are God's only begotten Son. That's the foundation upon which the church. When you study the New Testament church, you're studying about its foundation. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 11. There's no other foundation. Now, they were trying to build on some other foundations in Corinth. And Paul said, well, you can't build on another foundation. Some were calling themselves after this, and some were calling themselves after that. They were actually denominationalizing the church. They were dividing the church up. And there the apostle says, no, no, no. The church is built on the foundation that Jesus is God's only begotten Son. Now, in Matthew chapter 7, right there is a good verse. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus comes to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And as he comes to the end of that Sermon on the Mount, he gives this little story. Uh, It's used as a means of teaching. And it's one of the first stories I remember going to Bible class as a child. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, verse 24, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. See, he uses the rock here as a means of describing the foundation. The foundation is listening to the teaching of Christ. Christ is uh, the Savior. He's the foundation of the church. And you can't build your life on any other thing. Now, if you build your life on something else, it's like building your life on the sand. And when the winds and the rain come, the sand just washes away. And so it goes with your life. But only a foolish man does that. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. You're not going to listen to the rock. Listen to the foundation, the teachings of Jesus. Then it's like building your house on the sand. The New Testament church is built on the fact, the true statement. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The statement that we make when we want to be baptized. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And just as he mirrored for us in this chapter. Chapter 7, beginning at 24. Winds and rain and flood will beat against that foundation. The wise man builds his house on the rock. And when the rains came and when the the floods come... And the winds come. The house will stand sure because it's founded on the rock. So much more to this wonderful passage of Scripture, but the point is certainly made. The winds of change try to beat against the foundation. There will be differences in congregations and there will be differences in individuals. And it's always going to be that way. The winds of change and the winds of modification and the winds of compromise Always try to beat against the foundation. But the foundation stands sure and true. It is the church 
of the living God. We're always going to have to negotiate these speed bumps along the way. And we're going to have to analyze them from the standpoint of the Bible. What does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say on this particular matter? And we're going to go with the Word of God because we're going to build our house on the rock. We're not going to build our house on the sand. What is the this of the promise that you and I are studying for the present moment? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, verse 19. In verse 18, the this stands for Jesus Christ. The Christ is the foundation of the New Testament church. When you look at Matthew chapter 16, a passage I hope that you will mark and study very carefully, he says, and I tell you, you are Peter. Peter, you're a little pebble here. Peter, you're one thing. But on this great ledge of truth, the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, I will build my church. Who's the builder of the church? I will build the church, Jesus said. You're not going to build the church. I'm not going to build the church. Christ built the church. When I talk about the New Testament church, and I read about it from the standpoint of the New Testament, I read about a builder. I read about a builder who built the church. He built the church and used his own blood as the purchase price for the church Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. And in that great passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, while on his way to Jerusalem, was trying to emphasize that important matter to these good folks on that occasion. Pay careful attention to yourselves unto the flock in which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He built the church and paid for it with the blood which was sacrificed on Calvary's cross. And that blood makes it clear that that church belongs to him. And he is the builder of it. I will build my church. He's the builder. He's the one that set the church in order like he wanted it. Uh, Any number of passages could be cited along this line. But I think what we should do to see this great point is to look at how the church is described in the New Testament. For example, you just go to Romans chapter 16 and 16, and any number of Bible passages could be referenced here, and I'm going to mention just a few for our careful consideration and just briefly for a moment. And I think as you turn to that Romans 16 chapter, you're going to find a very familiar verse that talks about the ownership or the builder of the church. Now, In the 16th chapter, he's talking about some personal issues and matters as he brings his great, great book of Romans to a close. Personal matters that are discussed. He mentions a number of names. Sometimes we overlook these wonderful names, but we should spend some time talking about them, and we do. And he brings this on down to a conclusion by looking at verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss, he says. That was a means of greeting (coughs) in ancient times. And then he adds this statement. All the churches of Christ greet you. The churches of whom? They are the churches of Christ. They belong to Christ. He's the builder. Now, we have, we have been given this word church. It, it comes to us through different languages, and it comes into English as church. It's about as good as we can do, I guess. We've got it. And we have reference to the matter, church, the ecclesia of God, the assembly of God, the called out of God. And we try to be very careful about what we mean by that. I know we've inherited that word, but this word really means the people, church. These people belong to Christ. 
These are the assembly. This is the assembly of Christ. It belongs to him. This is the Greek way of showing a possessive. In other words, it could be Christ apostrophe S in English. But here it is written of Christ. The churches of or the assembly of Christ. These belong to him. That's the way of expressing a possession. It belongs to him because he's the builder. Sometimes our speech betrays us. Sometimes we say, well, uh, what church are you a member of? And you say, well, my church is. And that kind of speech is really inaccurate, isn't it? I know sometimes we get into that habit. I've said the same thing, uh, that we mention this in that regard. And then uh, sometimes somebody will say, well, my church does this. And I think in my mind, well... The Lord's church is not your church. It's His church. He's the builder. And I guess we all understand that, but we try to be as precise as we can. But we're talking about what the Bible has to say and how the Bible says it. And the Bible is saying in Romans chapter 16 and 16, this belongs to Him. It is His. It's not mine. And He has the right to determine how it will be, what its makeup will be, how it will be organized, what the terms of entrance will be in the church that belongs to Him. The churches of Christ. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. I think Colossians chapter 1 is one of the most profound passages in all the Bible. Now I know you hear me say that a lot, but there are some passages that are really profound and you have in this Colossians, this prison epistle, uh, some interesting discussion that really we try to plummet the depths of it as best we can, but there's so much there it's hard to get a handle on all this particular matter. And he's talking about the all-sufficiency of Christ in the book of Colossians. And it's a powerful book, especially for people who were thinking about other things rather than following Christ as the all-sufficient one, the preeminence of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, beginning about verse 1 through 12, he talks about the all-sufficiency of Christ in the gospel message. And when you're reading the first 12 verses, you're reading about how great the gospel is, how great the gospel message is, how everyone needs to hear that gospel message. But then when you get to about verse 13, which is where I'm trying to go here, you see how great Christ is in the matter of redemption, in the matter of salvation. He has delivered us, Colossians 1.13, from the dominion of darkness or the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Whose kingdom is it? The kingdom of His beloved Son. That's whose it is. He is the builder of the kingdom. He is the builder, the one, of course who died for the church and built it the way he wanted to. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 12, and you know I love to talk about the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, about verse 23, there's a passage there that talks about the kingdom once again, and he's talking about this unshakable kingdom. And notice, though, he tells us about this builder of the kingdom, verse 23. I'm in Hebrews 12, and I'm studying about this point about the builder of the church. And he says, and to the assembly. I see he used the word assembly there. That's a good word to use. He means the people who are coming together, the ecclesia of God, of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I'm in Hebrews 12 and 23. The reason I thought of this passage is because it is the assembly of whom? Of the firstborn. 
He's talking about the people of Jesus Christ. The people that belong to Christ. When you use that word church in the New Testament, you're not talking about buildings. You're not talking about heating systems, ventilation systems, carpet or pews. You're talking about people. The people who belong to Christ. His possession. He's the builder of it. Sometimes people get so enthralled in the work of this one or in the work of that one, they start calling the church after that particular person. Maybe it was a Bible personage, like John, or someone like that. Or maybe what John was doing. Jesus didn't call the church after John or any other individual. The church belongs to Christ. He is its builder. That's the church I'm a member of. That's the church I read about in the New Testament. You don't hear much about this anymore, do you? In Matthew chapter 16, I'm reading about a promise Jesus gave. And there's an element about this promise I want to focus upon before my time gets away. And that's what I simply call the time factor. This time factor, Jesus said, I will build it, which meant that when Jesus made this statement and this promise, Matthew 16, 18, it had not been built yet. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the foundation, I, Jesus being the builder, will build. By the time Jesus made this statement, the church hadn't been built yet. The building of the church was still off into the future from the standpoint of what Jesus was saying. This passage was given prior to the events that took place in Acts chapter 2. It is spoken of as being off in the future. Now, when you get over here to Acts chapter 2, and I want to spend just a, a short moment looking at that, the language is quite different by the time you get to that point in time. And Peter gives this great sermon, and we'll probably have to reference Acts chapter 2 a little later, but... He says in about verse 41, So those who received his word, that's the preaching of the sermon and and the development of that sermon, uh, they were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's verse 41. They were baptized and added to what? Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord had added to the number, the church. He added to them. So now it's spoken of as a present existent. When Jesus said, I will build, it was still off in the future. Now, from Acts chapter 2 forward, the church is in existence. And people are being added to it. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And you see an interesting statement there. This is about... You know, the suffering of Stephen. Stephen was stoned in chapter 7. They laid the cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul went out and took it upon himself to persecute the church. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, the stoning of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against what? The church. The church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So when you have Jesus making the promise, 
In Matthew chapter 16, I will build, it's still in the future. By the time you get to Acts chapter 2 and subsequent passages, and there are many, you have the church already in existence. Something has happened between the preaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and Acts chapter 2. That's why the second chapter of Acts is such a pivotal passage, is because it talks about the actual day and time when men and women were added to this kingdom, added to this church, that the future now has come. I will build has now come to pass, and people are being added to it. The kingdom has come. In Isaiah chapter 2, isn't that a wonderful chapter? You and I have really grown to love the book of Isaiah. We've been studying it on Sunday nights. And in Isaiah chapter 2, you have this great statement from the prophet. And he's talking about the future. And a lot of times, and you've heard me say this, Isaiah will talk about the present. Then, man, he'll telescope off into the future. And he'll talk about the ideal and what it's going to be like and how things are going to be like in the future. And then he brings it right back to the present. Now, this is what we got now is a present situation. And he discusses the problems that they face right then and there. And here he just scopes off into the future in Isaiah chapter 2. And this is what he says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. As the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob to the house of God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that he, we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Well, this wonderful passage you and I have studied in rather careful detail, and as you know, it refers to the New Testament church. It refers to that great and wonderful day when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached in the latter days about the church, and now they're being added to it. Let's go up into time. And because of our love for the prophets, we come to Daniel chapter 2. In the second chapter of Daniel, Daniel there is able to interpret a dream from a wicked world leader named Nebuchadnezzar. And as he interprets the dream, no one knew what the dream was. Nebuchadnezzar said, tell me what the dream was and what the dream meant. And somebody said, that. we can't do that. We can't do all that. But because the Spirit of the Lord was in Daniel, God revealed to Daniel the ability to explain the dream in detail and tell him what the dream meant. He said, now, you had dreamed of a terrible creature. The head of this image was of fine gold in his chest and arms of silver and his middle and thighs of bronze, his legs of iron, his feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Then he talks about a stone, Daniel 2 and 34. Let's skip on down to about the middle of the passage, about verse 38. And he tells, now, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. He begins to explain that this image represented different world empires. And he works his way on down through these empires till you get to a very important passage in verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The kingdom, the kingdom's coming. Isaiah chapter 2 and 2, all these passages, Daniel chapter 2 and 44. The kingdom's off in the future. 
John comes preaching. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew, I mean, Jesus and Matthew comes preaching. Matthew 4 and 17. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not here yet, but it's at hand. I say an important element that we may have overlooked is the time factor. The time factor all the way through the pages of the Bible is saying it's off in the future. It's off in the future. It's coming. Jesus said it's at hand. It's not here yet. It's at hand. Some of you will not taste of death till you see the kingdom of God come with power. Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. But it's not here yet. And then when you get to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, they're being added to it. Now the kingdom is here. People are being added to the kingdom. And persecutions brought upon the church. The people of God. The time factor. Now I mention this because it's important. It's what the Bible says about the New Testament church. A certain time when it was established. If you want to use that word, fine. The day when men and women were first added to it by means of obedience to the gospel. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly heard his word, received his word, were baptized. The same day they were added about 3,000 souls. To what? I might ask it this way. To what church? What church were they added to? Well, the only church that there was then the church where Jesus was the foundation, the church where Jesus was the builder, the church that was prophesied that was going to come. And now these are those days in when the church has actually come about. I'll tell you what would be going through my mind. If I were part of a church who had its beginning in the 6th century or the 15th century or the 16th century or the 17th century. That would cause me some real problems. I'd be thinking, wait a minute. The church was established in the 1st century, but I'm part of a church that came up in the 16th century. Wait a minute. I wonder how I should view this. What church do I want to be a part of? Well, if you're talking about the New Testament church, then you want to be a part of the church that began or was established in the first century, not the 15th or the 16th or the 17th or the 21st. The church where Jesus is the this, the foundation. The church where Jesus is the builder, I will build. The church that is in the right time factor, I will build. That's the church I want to be a part of. I want to look to these particular matters, and if I find that I'm not a part of that congregation, that church that you read about in the pages of the Bible, I'm going to have some real problems. And you know, there was a whole generation of people who saw that. Now, I'm not a part of a church that Alexander Campbell built. I'm not a part of a church where Barton W. Stone built. Though I preached 
for three years for a congregation where Barton W. Stone helped establish that congregation up in the hills of Tennessee. I preached eight years for a congregation where James A. Harding helped establish that congregation. But the congregation was not established after James A. Harding. The congregation was not established after Barton W. Stone. I don't preach for a congregation established by Alexander Campbell. And if you go away thinking that particular matter, you've missed the point altogether. The point is, it's not established by some man. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. That's the church I'm a member of. The builder of the church, the one who's designed it and set it in order and built this and put it in place, is Jesus Christ. That's the church I'm a member of. I'm a member of the congregation, the church of the Lord, that goes all the way back and traces its beliefs to the very beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2. And follows the pattern that was given to us in the pages of the Bible. And sometimes when we stray away from that pattern, we correct ourselves with the Word of God and we bring that thing right back in the middle of the Word of God. Not going to the left of it, not going to the right of it, but right in the middle of the Word of God is where we keep things and where we want to be because we're the church that Jesus built. And is the foundation and was established at the right time. Now, I believe I could go out and rent a storefront in an old vacated shopping plaza and start a church of my own, and I could call it whatever fabulous religious kind of name I could think of, and people come to it. It just happens all over the place all the time. I could just come up with some fancy name and just call it whatever I wanted to and, and do things religious. It's like I was talking to one of the carpenters working on the house when we were building the house. He said, man, you ought to come to our... We got a swinging church. <laughs> and he was talking about playing the drums and the guitars at the church. And I'm trying to help him see, no, I don't want a man-made church. I don't want to be a part of a modern church. I want to be a part of the church you read about in the pages of the Bible. And that's where I am. I'm in that church. And that's where I'm going to stay. And that's our plea. Our plea is to look at the Bible and see what it says and respond to it. And strip away all that is human on this side of Pentecost. And go back to Pentecost and do what they did and be what they were and believe what they believed and be the church that Jesus purchased with his own blood. And you can be a part of that. The church. The greatest institution, if I can use that word, that there is on the earth today. And I'm grateful to be a part of the New Testament church how important it is. If I'm speaking to young people today, when you see that sign out there, it says the church of Christ for a reason. These people belong to Christ. And we're not talking about a building. We're talking about people who have said yes to Christ and no to sin. We're going to follow Jesus and be a part of the church.
that belongs to him, the people, the assembly of God. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I encourage you to do that today. I've got more that I'd like to say about the church tonight, and I hope you'll be with us and study about the New Testament church and what it means for our lives. And if you're not a part of it, you need to repent of your sins and confess your faith, be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, and He will put you in His church, the church you read about in the pages of the Bible, not a denomination, not a modern-day man-made church the church that belongs to Christ, and I pray you'll do it today. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.